Hey, thanks for tuning in to the Meadowview Weekly Sermon Podcast. We're a church who seeks to grow in Christ, gather in community, and go in obedience to the Great Commission. All right, good morning, church. So glad you're back. Happy Mother's Day. We're so excited for you, and uh, I hope you enjoyed the video earlier in the service. If we got to play it, you know, there was some restrictions about it being online, but let's, let's hope you got to see it. We do love you and, and hope that you have a blessed day. Uh, Mark chapter 4, we're going to kind of pick up where we left off last week, but first, I've got some good news. I've got another coronavirus COVID-19 church update. So here we go. We are uh, updating our website, medivubaptist.com. Uh, there's a page on there, COVID update. You can go there for all the updates. You can register for our prayer nights on Wednesday nights that are uh, limited, uh, but there's plenty of space. So don't let that scare you off. If you want to come pray with us and have a worship service, we're having that again this Wednesday. Uh, but on May 24th, this is going to be our first Sunday back. And uh, can I just hear a from your houses? Yeah, okay. So Sunday morning, in-person worship services will resume at half capacity on May 24th. So we are super excited about this. Uh, we're so glad to have um, many of our members coming back. We, we thank you for the surveys that you filled out. We want to thank you for um, keeping in contact with us on social media. And uh, we took those surveys, we worked out all the percentages, and uh, we decided that the end of May was going to be the best time for us to begin in-service, in-person services again. Uh, spoke with the deacons, the elders, the staff, and May 24th, 10.30, service only is how we're going to start back in. So just a few things uh, to cover with that. Children's ministry areas will remain off limits. So we will not provide child care for these service onlys, okay? So uh, we do uh, hope that you will be able to come. We will have directional arrows uh, leading you in and out. Uh, we won't be handing anything out, no bulletins, uh, no offering plates, but there'll be places to give and you can continue to give online. Uh, but we are so excited about this. So May 24th, 1030, I hope to see you there. Again, if you have been sick or running a fever or high risk, we encourage you to stay home because we will continue to offer online services just like this for several, several more weeks. All right, so let's pick up where we left off last week, Mark chapter 4. We've, we've said this for a few weeks, just as proximity to Jesus doesn't always attribute to a personal relationship with Jesus the recognition of Jesus doesn't always equate to the receiving of Jesus. So we've talked about the sowing and the, the soils, and we, we come up with this conclusion that you're responsible for your receptiveness. And the reason I say it that way is because Christ is revealed, and we are to receive him when he is revealed to us. So salvation is Christ revealed in Christ received. So Galatians, Paul says it this way, chapter 1, 15 and 16. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me. So God reveals Jesus Christ to us. This is salvation. It comes when Christ is revealed in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. So Christ revealed and Christ received. Again, he says it this way. Paul says in Romans chapter 1, 18 through 20. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, 
who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So this is what Paul is saying. Even with general revelation, the fact that all these things have been created, you can perceive the fact that there is a God and he has revealed his, himself in his son, Jesus Christ. Christ revealed and Christ received is salvation. Colossians, Paul says it this way in chapter 2, six, uh, verses 6 and 7 and 13 and 14. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Verse 13, and you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Look, salvation is Christ revealed and Christ received. God reveals himself to us through his son, Jesus Christ, and we receive him and we receive salvation. So salvation is Christ revealed and Christ received. And so our responsibility is our receptiveness. How do you receive Christ? As we jump in to Mark's gospel, Mark's gospel here, chapter four, we're going to pick up in verse 21. But first, I want to pray for us as we jump in. Father, we thank you so much for this morning. God, I want to thank you for all the mothers that are listening. I want to thank you for all the, the, the women who are listening, no matter where they are in their stage of life. God, that you would, uh, you would bless them today, that they would begin to see your presence and your power in their life. God, as we open up your word, speak to us through the power of your Holy Spirit, the presence of your Holy Spirit. It is in Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, first thing here, the word and our responsibility to respond. If we have seen Christ revealed to us, and we have received him, then we now have a responsibility to respond. So as Jesus continues with these parables, this is what he says in Mark 4, 21 through 25. And he said to them, is a lamp brought in and put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And still more will be added to you. For the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. So Jesus is saying, I want you to pay attention to what you hear. You're responsible for shining the light of Christ. If you have had Christ revealed to you and you've received Christ, then you have a responsibility to share Christ. You have a responsibility to shine that light. You have been given a light to shine for the purpose of shining the light. He said, you don't bring that light in and cover it up. So if Christ has been revealed to you and you have received the truth of God, you have a solemn responsibility to spread that truth in whatever way God gives you opportunity. You have had Christ revealed to you. You have received Christ, and now you have a responsibility to share Christ. Again, let's look at Galatians chapter 1, verses 15 to 16. We've already read this. This is what Paul says, but I want to point out a different part of this verse to you. 
But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. There was a purpose behind the salvation of Paul. The purpose behind the salvation of Paul was the glorification of God so that he would go and he would preach the gospel, that he would share Jesus, that he would shine in the darkest places. I love that when the, when the apostles and, and the disciples began to be filled with the Spirit and Acts, they, their prayers moved from self-preservation to God glorification. They, they moved into a, it is our responsibility that we might share Jesus. We want to go out and shine the light. So we have not been saved to sit. Salvation is Christ revealed, Christ received. We have not had Christ revealed to us, and we have not received Christ to just sit on Christ. We are responsible for our response. We are not responsible, however, for how others receive. So we can't use others as an excuse to hide the light. And, and oftentimes we do this. We will, we will pull back. Well, I don't know what they'll think. I don't know what they'll say. It's, it's our responsibility. Those who have had Christ revealed and have received Christ, it's our responsibility to share Christ, not our responsibility to make sure People know how to receive Christ. So we need to share Jesus. I like how Matthew puts it in chapter 5, verses 15 and 16. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. We are responsible to shine. Others are responsible to see. Are you doing what you are held responsible for? Shining. It's your job. God has called you to shine a light into the darkest areas of, of this world. Now, imagine with me, someone had the cure for COVID-19. And they didn't share that cure for fear of ridicule, uh, fear of failure, or possibly just unconcerned for their fellow man. How horrible would that be? I mean, if, if someone came up with a cure, if someone came up with a vaccine and they knew it was going to work and yet they were like, ah, uh, I just, I don't know, it's embarrassing to talk about. It, it, I don't know if I can, I can do it. Well, what will people say if I, if I share it? I mean, that sounds ridiculous, does it not? But right now, in every nation, every tribe, and every tongue, there is a deep need for the cure of this disease. I mean, this is a global pandemic that has gone all over the world and everyone is in need of this. And if you had the cure then you would have the moral responsibility to spread that cure. Am I right? Well, we as believers, we believe that we have something far greater. We have a far greater responsibility than just this vaccine or, or a cure for a, a disease. We have the responsibility because we have the cure for an eternal disease. We have the cure for what uh, doesn't just kill the body, but it kills the soul. We know the only cure and the only truth is Jesus Christ. The question is, will we share him or will we sit on what we have been revealed and received? We have a solemn responsibility to share Jesus because we have received Jesus. We can't afford to view Jesus as a simple personal viewpoint or as a mere religious affiliation or as a moral or political platform. He's far greater than that. Jesus is the cure to sin and we cannot keep him hidden. We have the light, and the light is Christ. You see, Jesus didn't reveal himself to you, save you, and redeem you for you to keep him hidden. You have a solemn responsibility. 
I love what William Carey said. William Carey was a Baptist missionary to India, and, and he went many, many years without even seeing one convert. But he went and he shared Jesus in one of the darkest areas of the world. And he said this, expect great things from God and attempt great things for God. Now, what if that was our mindset? We're going to expect God to do great things, and so we're going to attempt great things in his name. We're going to expect God to shine his light in the darkest areas of the world, so we're going to go to the darkest areas of the world. That was his mindset, and that should be our mindset. You see, if we expect God to do great things, then we will attempt great things. But if we don't expect great things, then we won't attempt great things. Maybe we never attempt to share Jesus because we don't expect Jesus to do great things. I mean, think about that. Maybe we're too shy and we hold back the light because we, we just don't expect Jesus to do something. We are called to shine the light in the darkest areas. Uh, verse 21, and he said to them, is a lamp brought in and put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to the light. There's a purpose behind your salvation. There's a purpose behind it. It is for God's glorification. It is for his name to be spread across this globe, even in the darkest areas, to let our light shine. Uh, Jesus, uh, again, spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. I mean, this is what Jesus says. If you will walk with me, you will walk in the light. You, you, you can't remain in darkness. You, you're going to let that light shine in and through you, even in the darkest areas. So do you allow the light of Christ to shine through you? And this is a simple question. When, when people see you, do they see the light of Jesus? Is the light of Christ evident in your life? Or are you still walking in darkness? Are you still walking in sin? You see, we're not called to walk in darkness. We're called to shine in the darkness. There's a difference there. Is the light of Christ evident in your life to those who live in darkness, or do you avoid those in darkness? You see, we need to shine brightest in the darkness. Light shines brightest in the darkness. Our light may not shine bright because we never go to the dark places. Let me ask you, are you willing to expect great things from God and attempt great things from God. I, I don't know, but maybe you're listening right now and maybe you've wrestled with God's call on your life to go into the darkest places of this world, to be a missionary, to make disciples of all nations. And maybe God's calling you right now to go. And maybe he's placed a people group or, or a community on your heart and, and you've been wrestling with that call. God is calling you to go and to shine a light in a dark place. It's, it's why he was revealed to you. It's why you received him so that salvation could, could go and spread to those who don't know him. Are you called to go? Are you called to shine the light? We need to shine the light in the darkness because people are attracted to Jesus. People are attracted to the light. I know one of my favorite things to do during the summer is to, is to see those bug lamps outside, you know, and all these bugs are just going and they're like... Oh, the light, and then they fall to the ground. It's great entertainment. I mean, you put one of those things up, you can watch it all night long. And it's that they cannot resist the light. They're just attracted to the light. Listen, people are attracted to the light. They're attracted to truth. They're attracted to Jesus. They're attracted to hope and mercy and grace. But people are not attracted to religious adherence, moral conformity. They're not attracted to that, but they're attracted to righteous acceptance 
righteous love, and unconditional grace and mercy. Hear me when I say this. Jesus didn't accept sin, but he accepted the fact that people were sinners. He didn't accept sin, but he accepted the fact that people were sinners. You see, because Jesus sees value in all people. All people have value. He sees people as precious and priceless. That's why he came to pay the ultimate price for their sins. That's why he came to pay the ultimate price for mine and your sins. Because we were dead. We were separated from him. We were in darkness. We were in sin. But while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He saw value. He was willing to meet people where they are. He's still willing to meet people where they are, to reveal himself to them, for them to receive him. Do you see people as valuable right where they are, even in the darkness? Jesus did, and he still does. I'd like to move us to a prayer prompt. This is a point in our service where we pause for 30 seconds and we reflect on what we've just read and we pray through it. Let me ask you, is God calling you to share Jesus with someone you know doesn't know him? Maybe that name just popped in your mind right now. Maybe you've been hiding the light while you're around that person for fear of ridicule or failure. He's calling you to shine bright in the darkest areas. Let me ask you, are you willing to expect great things for God and attempt great things for God? Will you take a moment and ask Jesus, to shine through you. Ask Jesus to help you see people as valuable and loved exactly where they are. Will you pause? Will you pray? All right, number two, the word and the redeemed. Let's keep reading Mark chapter 4, 26 through 29. And he said, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, and then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts it in the sickle, because the harvest has come. Now, this is what he's saying. If you receive it and you respond by sharing it, you can be assured that God will produce the results. I love how Isaiah, uh, the prophet, says this in 5511. It says, So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose." And shall succeed in the things for which I sent it. Here's here's what God's saying. Look, I I want to reveal myself to all people. I found value in all people. I want them to receive the word. And let let me assure you of something. When the word is received, I will produce the results. The word goes out. You need to be someone who goes out and preaches the good news of Jesus Christ. Who shares the gospel. The word has to be sown. It has to go out. And I will accomplish God says, I will accomplish my purposes and it will succeed. See, God's purposes in our life come through the receiving and the responding to God's word. This is what happens. Receive the word. 
respond by sharing the word. The results will happen through the sowing of God's word. God is in complete control. We are just responsible to respond. God's will is revealed in his word. People need to hear God's will. They need to hear God's word. But if you live contrary to God's word, you're living contrary to God's will. You see, you can't say things like, I really feel like God wants me to blank if blank goes against God's word. It just doesn't work that way. It's not how he's designed it. Verse 29 says, but when the grain is ripe at once, he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. I'm reminded of what is recorded in Matthew's gospel, chapter 9, 37 and 38. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. Listen, there is going to be a harvest. A harvest is going to take place, a harvest of souls. And we read about this in Revelation chapter 14, 14 through 16. And he says this, Then I looked, this is John the Revelator, he says, Then I looked, and behold, a white cloud... And seated on the cloud was one like the Son of Man. That would be Jesus, right? With a golden crown in his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. And another angel came out of the temple calling with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud. Put in your sickle and reap for the hour to reap has come. For the harvest of the earth is fully ripe. So he sat on the cloud, swung his sickle across the earth and the earth was reaped. Now, hear me when I say this. One day, there will be a harvest of souls. One day, we can be assured of this because God's word says it, and this is God's will. The ones who have received the word and responded will be harvested into an everlasting kingdom. There's going to be a harvest. The, The question is, are you ready for the harvest? Are you a laborer who is willing to go out and work the harvest? Are you willing to sow seeds in the people's lives? Are you willing to go out and let the light shine in the darkest areas? Because one day the harvest is coming. And Jesus said, look, therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. Will you pray for laborers? Not not just that. Will you submit to being a laborer? Will you... Will you say, God, right now, I don't want to just sit on my salvation. I have a solemn responsibility to share the light with those in darkness. Will you take a moment and will you pray? Third, the word and the results. Let's keep reading chapter 4, verses 30 and 32. And he said, With what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable shall we use for it? It's like a grain of a mustard seed, which when it's sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on the earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nest in its shade. Listen, this is how it works. Christ is revealed. Christ is received. Then the church is responding. The church has a response 
and there's kingdom results. This is, this is what Jesus is saying. Look, Christ revealed, Christ received, church response, kingdom results. Now, you may not know this, but this is what church history says. It says that this is how the growth took place in the early church. In, in 30 AD, this is when Jesus began his ministry. This is Jesus and the 12. But three years later, at his death, there's over 3,000 believers as recorded in Acts chapter 2. It then begins to multiply rapidly. It begins to be what was, what was small, begins to grow big, just like this tree. 100 AD, 17,500 Christians in Rome. By 180 AD, 180,000 believers. By 250 AD, you're at 2.1 million. By 300 AD, 6 million. By 312 AD, 9 million believers. By 350 AD, there's 31.7 million Christians in Rome. We're talking, it started small and it grew huge. Why? Because Christ was revealed, Christ was received, and the church responded in a way that went out and shined a bright light in the darkest areas of the world in the Roman kingdom, and there was kingdom results that took place. And today, there's over 2.5 billion believers. But listen, there are so many who don't know Jesus. There are so many that have never heard the good news of Jesus Christ. There are people living in the darkest areas of this world who desperately need the light of Christ. They need the hope. There needs to be a church response, and there needs to be kingdom results You see, kingdom results come from kingdom-minded people. A kingdom-minded people. The church needs to be kingdom-minded, not me-minded. Not not individual-minded. It needs to be kingdom-minded. Kingdom-minded people live kingdom-driven lives. You see, you have to ask yourself, are you kingdom-driven? Are you your kingdom-driven? Are you his kingdom-driven? I mean, that's that's the question you got to ask. Is my life more about my kingdom? In my results, or is it more about his kingdom and his results? So if you want to be a kingdom-minded church, there's three things that you need to do. There's three principles you need to start with. Number one, simple obedience. This is, this is where we start. We start with simple obedience. If, if we want to be kingdom-minded, then we need to be doing what we know we already ought to be doing because of our understanding of basic moral, social, and biblical teachings. If we want to be kingdom-minded, then we're going to say, I know what God's word says, and I really want to apply it to my life because I know that's God's will for my life. But if we're going to be a church that doesn't follow simple obedience, well, I know what God's word says, but I just want to do what I want to do. That's not kingdom-minded. That's me-minded. Simple obedience. It's doing what you already know God's called you to do. So ask yourself this question. Does my life follow Jesus's example of simple obedience to the word of God? Am I submitting my life to what I know his word already tells me to do? Second principle is this, sacrificial obedience. If you get simple obedience, then you move into sacrificial obedience. And it's the act of removing anything that hinders, derails, or sabotages your ability to fully follow Jesus as Lord of your life. This is where you take the next step. And and just like we talked about last week with the weeds kind of growing up and, and you became a distracted disciple, this is when you begin to look around, you see the weeds and you go, look, there's some things that need to be cut out of my life because it's distracting me from being kingdom minded because I'm really me minded right now. So sacrificial obedience is taking that next step from simple obedience to sacrificial obedience to cut out things in your life that keep you from being kingdom driven. So you got to ask yourself this question. Does my life follow Jesus's example of sacrificial obedience to the Father? Jesus lived a simple life, a simple obedience and sacrificial obedience. He gave up his life for those 
that he loved. I mean, he was giving up his life. He was sacrificial in what he did. And here's the third one, servant obedience. The third principle to being kingdom-minded is servant obedience. This is the act of wholeheartedly submitting to the mission of Jesus by meeting the needs of others, both spiritually and physically. And this is what we've been talking about all morning. Are we willing to be a church that's so kingdom-minded that we will become servants of God that go into the darkest areas of this world and shine the light of Jesus Christ? Are we willing to be servant leaders? Are we willing to, to serve those who need to hear about Jesus spiritually, but also meet the needs of those who are hurting physically? We need to be a people who follow in servant obedience. So you ask yourself this question. Does my life follow Jesus' example of servant obedience? Jesus came to serve and not be served. He came to give his life up as a, as a ransom for many. Our lives should shine the light of Christ. And if we're going to shine the light of Christ, then it will be simple obedience. It will be sacrificial obedience. And it will be servant obedience. So as we have this final prayer prompt, this final time of prayer, are you living for your kingdom or for his kingdom? What area of obedience do you need to work on? Simple obedience, sacrificial obedience, or servant obedience? Will you take a moment, will you ask God to help you in your obedience to him? Say, I need your spirit to move in my heart in such a way that I'm, I desire to be obedient. And I'm willing to do whatever it takes to be obedient. Will you stop and will you pray? Church, thank you so much for joining us again this morning. We, we love you, and we are looking forward to May 24th, where we begin opening back up. And uh, until that day, let me pray for you right now, that you would be the light in a dark world. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much that you have revealed yourself to us through your son, Jesus Christ, that we have received Christ and we have received salvation. Now, God, let us see the responsibility that you've placed on all of us to go and to shine bright, to, to sow your word in, into, into the lives of many. God, that you would give us boldness and strength by the power of your Holy Spirit. And most of all, God, that you would make us obedient, kingdom-minded people, that we would submit to you with simple obedience, with sacrificial obedience, and with servant obedience. God, today as we go, use us as your church for your kingdom. In Christ's name, amen. Church, we love you. Pray you have a blessed week, and uh, we'll see you soon. 